0: Well, this Christmas season has gone really fast Um, and this is our fourth week of our Advent series leading up to our celebration this Saturday of the birth of Christ and in this Advent season, we've kind of taken a, a little bit different look at this Christmas story and we've kind of seen how the birth of this child, you know, has impacted humanity from the very beginning all the way through the end of time into eternity. And the question I think we're thinking about is how important is the birth of Christ? How important is that to our lives? And so to think about that in just a little bit different way, I want to go to a very familiar Christmas classic movie, It's a Wonderful Life. I think most of you all have seen that, is that right? Everybody's seen that. Got some thumbs up. A lot of, a couple thumbs down, I guess. Uh, but uh, it's a wonderful life. And there's a crucial part in this story. A crucial scene in this story, and it's this. You know, George Bailey is distraught over the fact that his business partner, Uncle Billy, has misplaced eight thousand dollars. And in desperation, he's been looking for it, and he cannot find it. And that's going to mean for them shame, devastation, and probably imprisonment. And so as a result of, of, of not knowing what he's going to do, uh, he actually has contemplated and has tried to attempt to drown himself and jump off a bridge and drown himself but having uh, jumped into the br- off this bridge into the water, Clarence, his guardian angel, saves him and, uh, and, and thinks that that's gonna make everything better, that he's gonna see the folly of what he tried to do. But George has not been convinced by this, and he speculates, I suppose it'd be better if I had never been born. Clarence begins to argue with him about that, but then begins to reconsider his suggestion and he realizes what that could mean for him to see what would have happened if he had never been born. So Clarence then agrees to his request and through some unknown power of heaven, he says, okay, you get your request. You'll, you've never been born. You don't exist. The movie proceeds as if George Bailey had never been born and what would have happened? Marriages fail, His brother dies at a young age, which means that thousands uh, of sailors die. His uncle resides in a mental health institution. A former employee is in prison. Lives are miserable. And Bedford Falls turns into Pottersville, a sleazy and degenerate town, all for the lack of the birth of George Bailey. So consider in our one story what has changed? What is different because of the birth of this one baby, this child, Jesus? From, first, from the first week, we looked at the hope of Christmas. We thought about Genesis chapter 3, when mankind had been created perfect to live in paradise and had sinned and disobeyed God and fallen the birth of Jesus was prophesied at that time, and we see that the hope of Christmas is the only remedy for sin and fall. The second week, we looked at the promise of Christmas from Isaiah chapter 59 and 60, and we saw there as they kind of look forward to the hope of the future in a very dark times. It's a, we, our, our theme was, in dark times, God is at work doing things worth waiting for. Last week, we looked at the gifts of Christmas from Ephesians chapter 1, and we saw that those who have Christ are made holy, they're forgiven, they're transformed, and inherit every spiritual blessing. And today, we'll look at a glorious ending to the one story, the hope of Christmas from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 8. And our big idea that we're going to be looking at today is this. The creator king remakes heaven and earth to join his bride and sentences the guilty. The creator king remakes heaven and earth to join his, to join his bride and sentences the guilty. So let's look at Revelation 21, uh, these verses 1 through 8. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was sitting on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage and will be his God, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Let's pray. Father, you are creator God, you are king and savior. Our lives and all of mankind are linked to your son. Lord, in this Christmas season, we don't wanna just see it as a time for our families and a time for gathering for ourselves, a time for gift giving and receiving. We ask you to open our eyes and open our hearts to understand to see the significance of this birth, to believe and to cling to the hope that your, wo- that your word promises us about our future. Lord, help me as I communicate. Help me to be clear. Help me be accurate to your word. Help me to point them and myself to Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We have three points that we're gonna make from our text today. And the first point is this, God will dwell with his people and remake heaven and earth. God will dwell with his people and remake heaven and earth. In Revelation 1, it says, excuse me, Revelation 21 verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Chapter 20, chapter just before this, Jesus has returned and he has defeated Satan and there was the final judgment in chapter 20. Death, Hades and those without Christ are thrown, it says, into the lake of fire. And so chapter 21 follows that end judgment, and it says that it begins with God creating a new heaven and a new earth. Heaven, uh, probably by definition, is where God dwells, where he lives. But there's actually, if you think about it, there's only one thing that, or one person that never changes, and that's God himself. So heaven has changed over time, or before time and after time. The past heaven before, there was a past heaven before mankind and before the heavenly beings and creatures had even existed. And there was heaven for God at that time. Present heaven is where believers go now after they die. We call it, it's called in the scriptures, Abraham's bosom and it's also called paradise. It's an intermediate heaven. And then there's a future heaven, the eternal heaven or the heaven, the new heavens and the new earth that Jesus says he was going to prepare a place for us. And we call all these three heaven. So we see in our text today that heaven is remade. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, it says this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. John Piper said this about heaven. He said, when Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 and 2 Peter chapter 3.10 say that the present earth and the heavens will pass away, does not mean that they go out of existence, but may mean that there will be such a change in them that their present condition passes away. We see this thought picked up in Acts chapter three verses 19 and 20, where, where uh, the preaching the apostles were preaching, and they said, Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come into the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets long ago. They were talking about a time when Jesus would come back and restore all things. And in other places in the scriptures we see we're purging with fire seen, is seen elsewhere in scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 to 15, it says this, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test that's what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Anthony Hokama, talking about this, this, this reality that something's going to be destroyed, it seems like, and yet it's remade, and it's made new again. He said this, in redemptive activity... God does not destroy the works of his hands but cleanses them from sin and perfects them so that they may finally reach the goal for which he created them. Applied to the problem at hand, this principle means that the new earth to which he will, we look forward to, will not be totally different from the present one but will be a renewal and glorification of the earth on which we now live. Randy Alcorn in his book, Heaven, said this. The Apostle Paul uses the same word, kainos, the Greek word, when he speaks of a believer becoming a new creation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. The new earth will be the same as the old earth, just as a new Christian will be the same person as before. Different? Yes. But also the same. The earth's death will be no more final than our own. The destruction of the old earth and God's purifying judgment will immediately be followed by its restoration to new life. Earth's fiery end will will open straight to a new glorious beginning. It will just keep getting better and better. And I, I think this is right. I mean, I think uh, the commentators, uh, I think, agree. Many of the commentators agree that, you know, God is not totally wiping out the earth as we know it and to, to create something totally different. Just like with us, you know, and our, the new creation, you know, there is a, a keeping of the same, but a, but a renewal and an improvement, so to speak, of the same. You know, sometimes in our lives, we'll go through an through a experience on a summer day or a sunrise that we see, a vacation time that you have, and you kind of look out, you're with the people you love, you're, you're experiencing possibly the food that you enjoy, and you're relaxing, there's no pressures on you, and you just kind of sit back and you say, you know what, it doesn't get any better than this, and yet. In heaven, that's not true, because it will be better than the best experience you can think of, and it will get better and better. In fact, heaven, the scriptures say, is just going to we're going to see more and more of the glory of God and and the beauty of His creation. In our text, it says when it talks about the first heaven and and the earth passing away, it says and the sea was no more, and so. You know, I was thinking for us Marylanders, does uh, no more sea mean no more downy ocean, hon? If there's no more sea, like, does that mean there's no ocean to go to? But I don't think that's what the writer was trying to say. Uh, Steve Lawson wrote this. He said, when they think about the sea, it says, to the ancient peoples, the sea was frightful and fearsome. An awesome monster, a watery grave. They had no compass to guide them to the open sea. On a cloudy day, their ships were absolutely lost without the stars or the sun to guide them. Their frail ships were at the mercy of the tempestuous ocean's fearsome, angry storms. The loss of human life in the sea was beyond calculation. So the sea represented a vast barrier for nations, continents, and people groups. So no more sea for them meant no frightful, watery grave, no angry loss of life. But we do see in the Old Testament prophecies of the the future in heaven and future activity of peoples and kingdoms. And we remember from reading Isaiah chapter 60, speaking of the new heavens and the earth, it said this in Isaiah 60 verses 3 to 5, the nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you will see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. It seems as though the new earth, the new heavens will still have activity of kingdoms and bringing of merchants from all over the world, traveling, it says, across long distances and the abundance of the sea being returned to them. And even if there is no salt water, there are great bodies of water, it seems. I don't know if you've ever been to Lake Superior before. Uh, I was surprised the first time I got up to Lake Superior, I was visiting my sister-in-law there. And I was, su- I was surprised to see this, this freshwater, massive lake uh, had um, waves coming in you know, to the land. In Revelation chapter 22, verses one and two, it says, the angel showed me the river of life of water, excuse me, the river of the water of life, Bright as a crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the trees before the healing of the nations. Give us amazing, amazing pictures of a new earth. Revelation 21 again says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And verse 2, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So he's, he's talking about the new Jerusalem. You know, the, the city of David, the, the city of God was, was Jerusalem. It was a special place where King David dwelt. And it says that there was this great city where god what we you know what we would consider now heaven is now coming down to the earth again anthony hokema said this he said the new jerusalem does not remain in a heaven far off in space but it comes down to the renewed earth there the redeemed will spend eternity in resurrected bodies so heaven and earth now separated Will then be merged. The new earth will also be heaven, since God will dwell there with his people. Glorified believers, in other words, will continue to be in heaven while they are inhabiting the new earth. And so, can you consider this? You know, the holy city, New Jerusalem, is coming down out of heaven. Here's an image. Now, I don't think it looks like the glorified Borg that that look kind, of, kind of looks like. But it's to give you a picture and an understanding of, of this massive city that is going to come down from heaven to be connected to the earth. Its dimensions are enormous. 1,400 miles long, wide. And tall, a cube, a perfect cube. The Holy of Holies is what we think about. The place that in the, in the temple where God dwelt was a, a perfect cube, but it was 30 feet by 30 feet by 30 feet. This is 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles. The New Jerusalem will be a perfect cube. And the presence of God is the essence of this place. The best part of life on the new earth will be enjoying God's presence, having him actually dwell with us. Just as the Holy of Holies had a spot, a place, where you actually would be in the presence of God if you were to be able to go into it. And so this city comes down to the new earth. This new Jerusalem comes down to the... The earth like this. Next slide. That's how big we're talking. We're talking about a city that would cover a lot of the continental United States. That's the New Jerusalem. Revelation 21 says this Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, and the first earth and the heaven that passed. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, the city was no more. Verse 2, and I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God. Notice that this holy city, this new Jerusalem, it's, it describes that city as coming down from heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The city is described as a bride coming down. Now, the most glorious thing a person could talk about, could, could you know, vision someone could describe of something beautiful and amazing would be to think through you know, what was available in those days. And for them, it was a wedding. And it was turning and seeing this bride come down towards her bridegroom and the beauty that was exhibited, the glory, the, the, the joy that you would have. That's what it says this city is. This city is not a block. <laughs> This city, as it comes down, it's like like a a bride coming down to her groom on that day, filled with glory, filled with beauty, filled with wonder, filled with awe. Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 8, says this, Then I heard what seem to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of many peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb was, has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. So no, no not just... The city is like a bride coming down to her bridegroom, but for Jesus, his bride is coming to him now. His bride is his people. His bride, gorgeous and beautiful and inspiring and filling his heart with joy is you and I who believe in him. We are the bride of Jesus Christ. And so at that time, as it all comes together, His bride is being presented to him, it says, clothed in fine linen, bright and pure. This is the marriage that all marriages would point to. This is the, the joyous celebration of the union of the bridegroom with his bride on that day, in his place, in his kingdom, In his city, by his grace, presented to himself, beautiful, bright, and pure. So our first point is God will dwell with his people and remake heaven and earth. And secondly, God will comfort his people and remove death and suffering. Verse 4 says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Think about that. The king of the universe, the creator of galaxies, the dread champion who defeated Satan and all his demonic hosts. It says here, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's how personal he is for you. When that bride joins with him, or when he sees you, when he comes to you, every tear he will wipe away in that day. And it says, death shall be no more. We just found out in the Horner household in the last day or so, that Jeremy's 101-year-old grandmother went to be with Jesus in glory. And many of us have gone to funerals this last year. We know of people. We're, we're close to people. Um, family and friends have died. At this place, at that time, Death will be no more. There will never be another funeral. There won't be a need for a grief-share ministry any longer. Because death will be no more. And it says there will be no more mourning. We won't be mourning loved ones any longer. We won't spend holidays alone wishing we had a different place and a different time. The pets the relationships, mourning over what's happened to our health, mourning what's happened to our possessions, mourning what's happened to our relationships. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain from injuries, from illnesses, from age, no more pain from rejection, No more pain from the consequences of addictions. The former things are all taken away. They're all gone. No more weakness. No more suffering. No more weariness. None of that. God will dwell with his people and make and remake heaven and earth, and he will comfort his people, and he will remove death and suffering from us. And then thirdly, God will satisfy his people and sentence those without a savior. God himself will be the satisfaction of his people there in heaven. I mean, I'm looking forward to heaven for all the things we've already mentioned. I'm looking forward to seeing my wife Wendy there, my mom, many, many, many close friends of mine, relatives. I'm looking forward to having amazing food to eat, places to go, things to do. I'm looking forward to having strength and vitality and not having to be afraid of things. You know, I think about this city, Jerusalem, that's coming down. And, you know, I was thinking about, you know, why why a city? Why a city? Of course, the city is like bigger than the United States, you know, in terms of its height and so forth. But the city was the place where there was cultural diversity. You could eat any kind of food there. You know, the arts were amazing there. The educational opportunities, the places to learn things, the places to interact and dialogue and have all kinds of different ideas discussed. It's a place where you can just have almost unlimited opportunities. And yet, I think, well, sometimes I don't, like to go to, I don't like to go to the cities. Well, why don't I like to go to cities? Because I don't have enough money to do the things I wanted to do there. It doesn't feel very safe. I don't have the strength to do those things. Um, I don't have the access to getting around. I don't know where things are. None of that's going to happen in heaven. You'll have all the time you need. You'll have all the strength you need. You won't have to worry about safety. You won't have to worry about any of those things. And you will just be free to enjoy and be in the presence of people you're growing to know, people that you know and you love with the Savior of the universe. But that said... as amazing as all those things are and will be, and we will enjoy all these things. He will be our satisfaction at that time. He said, Revelation 21, and he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. So this one seated on the throne, the king of the universe, says to us, I am making all things new. It's all going to be new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It's not unusual when you get toward the end of your life or you have loved ones go ahead of you into eternity. To have this kind of question, this check in the back of your mind, like, is heaven really going to happen? I mean, is this really real? I mean, did I, was this like, you, you have that, that dart hit you. Like, are we just kind of talking about, you know, something happy, happy to think about when people pass away? And, you know, when, when you read scripture and you see that there's things that are intentionally put there You know, like when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, it's like, it's like underlining and, you know, highlighting and saying, pay attention to this, you know, because he wants you to get it. He wants you to know it. He wants you to believe it. And so what he's just told us about heaven and eternity and a new heavens and a new earth and being with him and you're his bride and all those things he's just told him. No more tears, no more suffering when he's told us all those things. He says this, he says, write it down. Write it down. These words are trustworthy and true. When I'm telling you, he's saying, it's trustworthy, you can trust it. some of us are preparing for our retirement years and we're getting advice and we're getting, you know, where do we invest and where do we put our money so that it grows and it's safe and all those things like that. Used to be a a commercial out there that says when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. And so they're saying, you can trust this guy. His, His counsel to you would be true. God says, what I'm telling you, write it down, because it's trustworthy. It's true. Men and women, these scriptures that we read, you can bank on these things. You may talk to 100 people, and 99 of the 100 say, I don't don't believe it. I don't believe that's going to happen. I don't believe in heaven. I don't think it's going to be like this. And I may not have the exact particulars, worked out here, but the the bulk of what I've just told you, as best as I can understand, as best as I've studied, you know, whatever he has written here in the scriptures, it's true. It's trustworthy. You You can bank your life on following the word of God and the hope that we have. He says, look, It's trust we're in truth. And then he goes on from there, and he said to me, it's done, it's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Why does he say that? He said, because all the basis of any of this happening was based on what Jesus had to do. It's done. This has been purchased for you. This has been secured for you. This future is because... Is, is yours because this baby came. This baby lived a perfect life. This son of God, Jesus Christ, died on a cross to purchase for himself his bride. He's purchased his bride for himself. And he says... I was there at the beginning, and I will be there at the end. (laughs) I'm the alpha. I saw everything from the very beginning. I was there all the way through the history as it's recorded. I will be there into eternity future. You want testimony to trust in? You want to believe something? I'm the alpha and the omega, God says. You can believe it. You can bank on it. And then he makes this offer. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. To the thirsty, I will give these things. The spring of water of life without payment. I was rereading recently a book that many of us went through in our small groups called Gentle and Lowly. And And he was quoting Jonathan Edwards and Jonathan Edwards is not always the easiest to understand, but he said this, the creation of the world seems to have been especially for this end. This is, the, this is why God created a world. So that the eternal Son of God might obtain a spouse toward whom he might fully exercise the infinite benevolence of his nature. The whole purpose of making the earth was so that the eternal son of God might purchase for himself a spouse to which he can pour out his love, his humility, his grace, his abundance. That's why he did it. That's why he went through all that. And that's why he's not done, even though the world gets worse and worse. It's because he's going to put it through fire and he's going to bring it out better than it ever was before. And he offers that, this, this opportunity to those who are thirsty. And why, why does he choose the word thirsty? The idea of being thirsty means you, you got to do something, you got to drink. But the idea of thirsty is that it's all been given to you. The satisfaction is poured out to you. All you have to do is just receive. The action is just, just receive. You and I glorify God by just receiving His givingness, His humility. His love poured out to you. That's how he gets glory. When you choose him over anything else, when you choose him over all other, all other options, you are just saying you are so much better than everyone else and anything else out there. Isaiah said in Isaiah 55, he said, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come by and eat. Come by wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear, come to me, hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast love, sure love for David. David's... This is a key phrase for Messiah Jesus. Come and drink, come and receive. Believers, come and drink. Non-believers, come. Without money, without payback, come and receive, he says. God never gave up his original plan for human beings to dwell on the earth. The climax of history will be the creation of the new heavens and new earth, a resurrected universe inhabited by resurrected people living with their resurrected Jesus. But there's a warning. Back in Revelation 21, let's look at verse, let's start in verse seven. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be as God and he will be my son. How, do, what is, how does conquering mean? You know, Jesus says, in, I mean, it's the scripture says in 1 John chapter 5, the one who overcomes believes in Jesus as the son of God. The way that you conquer is you believe. The one who conquers through Jesus will have this heritage that we've talked about. And I will be as God and he will be my son. And here's the warning. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be the lake, of, the lake that burns with sulfur, fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Worship team, you can come. We're all born Unless Jesus comes back first, we will all die. But there's a second death, the lake of fire, an eternal destruction. We're all born, but we can be born again so that we will live eternally with God. We can live eternally with God. And God makes his plea to all creation. The word goes out to all people. God's only begotten son, Jesus Christ, whom we celebrate at this Christmas time, intentionally came to seek and to save. That which is lost. He was born humbly. He lived a perfect life. He earned a righteousness, which he will exchange to those who put their hope in him. He died on a cross to pay for our sins. We can believe that because after being buried in the grave for three days, he rose from the dead. He conquered death. And those who put their hope in him, who put their trust in him, have the promise of eternal life, have the promise of being co-heirs with Christ had his promise of being part of his bride in heaven. Hebrews chapter 3 says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. If the Holy Spirit is drawing you, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you, if the Holy Spirit is reminding you, that this savior is worth believing, this savior is worth drinking, partaking of, don't harden your heart. Don't say no to God. Don't push him away. Embrace him. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, all your life and an unattainable ecstasy has hovered just beyond the grasp of your consciousness. The day is coming when you will wake to find beyond all hope that you have attained it or else that it was within your reach and you've lost it forever. There's a reality of all these things we're talking about, but we don't see these things. We can't see heaven We can't see the angelic host that is even now watching over our lives. We don't see the demonic beings that would would love to just have you just put this off just one more day, one more week. We don't see these things. But these things are as real as can be. He said these words are true. They're faithful and true. And this is right now, right before some of you, this is, a, this is one of those moments that you will see in eternity. This will be one of those moments you'll probably see in eternity, not because of me, but because of his truth. And you'll rejoice if you've embraced his truth. And you will weep if you reject his truth. Even in the last moments of the whole Bible, once again, God reaches out in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. He says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price come. Come. Our big idea we have is the creator king who remakes heaven and earth to join his bride also sentences the guilty. What does your heart say? Come Lord Jesus. I'm sorry for the things I've turned to. I'm sorry for the distractions. You are worthy. He is worthy. He's worthy. Let's pray. You are giving the grace, Lord, to each one of us to meet you just where we're at. For some of us, we know the story. And we've tried to find satisfaction in other places, in friends, in food, in entertainment, in activity, in things. But Lord, you you came that we could have a greater satisfaction. And there's a hope that we have that will carry us through the darkest of times. It began in your heart and mind well before creation, but we see it in this Christmas season. We're reminded, Lord, that you humbled yourself. You left heaven to be like us, to be born. And your whole intention was toward that day when you would be with your bride in your place, Free of any sin, free of any hardship, free of death, all those things where you could celebrate and lavish your grace and goodness on your people. Lord, let that fill our hearts and minds in this life and even at this Christmas season. Help us see what the difference was when you had your son, when you sent your son, when we celebrate this child. And Lord, our heart goes out to say to those who have not responded to your call, Lord, send your spirit. Draw them. Grant them repentance, Lord. Give them the to say no to their foolish thinking, to their selfish thinking, to their thinking that they can continue indefinitely to put this off. Lord, I ask you, Lord, to grant them the faith and the repentance that they might know you, that they might be part with us of this glorious future. And we just beg you on behalf of half of this Savior that we have, be reconciled to God. Come to Jesus, we pray. Amen.